You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com slash resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, this is CJ Wolf from Healthicity. Welcome to another episode of Compliance Conversations. Today, we have a wonderful guest, Nick Merkin, who is CEO of Compliagent. Welcome, Nick. Thank you. Hi, CJ. How are you? Good. And you're you're joining us from sunny California. I am. I uh, don't want to make anybody jealous, but I'm uh, I'm looking out my window and looking at the ocean from here. Well, very nice. I am jealous. I'll, I'll have to come out and see you. Well, we really appreciate your time, Nick. And um, before we actually get into talking about some of the questions that I wanted to ask you, I wondered if you'd give our listeners just a brief introduction about your background. I know you have a unique background uh, professionally, and then tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Sure. So, um, you know, in uh, I, uh, I, I'm a lawyer by training and, and by background. Um, I, you know, spent about the first nine or 10 years of my career uh, practicing healthcare law, primarily in the litigation and you know, sort of compliance-related or government enforcement action litigation defense. Um, and about getting on four or almost five years ago now, um, with a couple of co-founders, started a com- healthcare compliance consulting firm um, designed to build out uh, compliance programs and compliance infrastructure for healthcare providers. So we work with uh, a variety of different kinds of providers all around the country. Um, we, we have uh, a big practice in the post-acute scare, uh, care space, but also um, you know, with many other sort of ancillary providers and some of the more traditional ones like physicians and hospitals as well. Right. And the name of the, the group is Compliagent, right? That's right. Well, very good. People, folks, you'll have to check that out. Um, well, you know, I, the re- one of the reasons I wanted to, to have you on as a guest, number one, is you're, you're a great uh, colleague, and you have a lot of experience in, in compliance. Um, but your background's unique, as you mentioned, as a trained as an attorney. And I was wondering if we could kind of start just by chatting a little bit, because a lot of folks in compliance come from different backgrounds. And, um, you know, a, a big chunk of folks come from the, the legal field, the legal profession. I was wondering what your thoughts were given that. And, and you know, a lot of organizations have legal departments, and we're seeing compliance departments coming up, sometimes reporting to legal or uh, or separate, and you see all sorts of variations. In your mind, you know what? How is the compliance function different from the legal function in an organization? Right, it's a good question, and I mean, really, the you know stepping back even from the question for a second, it's important to to realize that compliance as a discipline or compliance as a profession or an independent function is relatively new, you know, obviously relatively new with respect to uh, being an attorney or being a lawyer. Um, So, you know, to some extent, um, I think a lot of that, you know, the question that you're asking is something that um, has gone through some evolution and iteration over the years. Um, You know, it wasn't really until the late 90s that the OIG uh, came out with compliance program guidance 
and uh, you know started recommending and you know more recently demanding or, or making mandatory that um, healthcare providers or at least healthcare providers that are that are getting government money um, you know have proactive compliance programs. So you know the discipline is new and the question is kind of new. So it does you know I think raise in a lot of people's minds even if you ask people who are working in compliance or people who are working. Um, as general counsel or outside counsel or within legal departments of healthcare providers, uh, what the difference is, I think you'll, you'll probably get a dozen at least different answers. But the way I look at things is, um, you know, a, a chief compliance officer or, or the compliance function is really a management function. Um, now, you know, there is a legal background to the function, certainly. But really, it's something um, I think when compliance is done well and done correctly and done um, in cooperation and conjunction uh, with the legal function, compliance is really focused on the processes uh, and infrastructure of the organization. So uh, in some respects, it really looks at the regulatory and compliance backbone of an organization. For example, policies and procedures, you know, getting those uh, where they should be with the clarity they need and, you know, making sure that an organization has what it needs. Education and training, you know, making sure that staff training as it relates to compliance issues, you know, whether it's Stark Law or anti-kickback or a billing and coding question or HIPAA, um, that everybody, you know, within the staff of a healthcare organization is, is where it should be. Um, auditing and monitoring, um, you know, hotlines and investigations that are ancillary to that, and then reporting uh, directly to, you know, the C-level personnel of the organization or being a C-level person in the organization, but reporting to the governing board. Um, you know, by, by contrast, the legal function, which, you know, very important and equally important, is really, you know, there to give legal advice. And, you know, really what you're asking your general counsel is, I have a particular business objective that I want to reach. Um, you know, tell me the ways that I can do it legally. And um, right. yeah, I think that there are certainly overlaps and cooperation that's necessary between those two jobs, um, but they really are very much separate and distinct and, and really co-equal. Yeah, that's, those, that's great insight. Um, kind of along with that, you know, so that is a good answer for how the, the functions in an organization are different. Maybe we can talk about the skill set or the personalities or the thinking patterns. You know, you were trained as an attorney and, and a lot of attorneys think a certain way. How is the thinking of an attorney a little bit different than the thinking of a compliance officer? I mean, you mentioned management um, versus maybe right. a legal analysis, but any other thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, I, probably the best way to talk about it is uh, to give an example. Um, you know, so to take something that's sort of discreet and everyone would understand, let's say a HIPAA breach. So um, as an attorney, if I were looking, you know, at the problem of a HIPAA breach um, and, you know, somebody from my organization, my company comes to me and says, you know, I think we've had a breach. What do we, you know, let's sit down at the table what to do next. So you're sitting at the table and the general counsel is there and the com chief compliance officer is there. So if I'm the general counsel, the questions, you know, the immediate and most important question I'm asking is about liability. You know, what should we do next to minimize our liability? Or really asking the legal questions of, was there a breach? Um, 
you know, if, right. there, if there was a breach, what are my legal obligations to do next? What are the ways in which I can mitigate um, the legal liability that might arise or ensue from, you know, this potential HIPAA breach? Right. Um, you know, if there is going to be litigation that arises out of this or, or some kind of enforcement issue that arises out of the HIPAA breach, how do I defend that? How am I going to... Uh, uh, you know, how am I going to successfully defend that? Right. So I would say by contrast, uh, a compliance, you know, compliance personnel or a compliance officer is going to ask a sort of different set of questions. Um, some of it, again, like I was saying before, is systems and processes. So they might look at this and say, um, well, you know, why did this breach happen? Is it because our policies and procedures were, there was a lack of clarity in them. Maybe, um, you know, let's say it was a staff member who made a certain, you know, mistake with uh, encryption or security. You know, was that not clear? Was that, and then the next question is, was that person trained properly? Is is this a potential greater problem waiting to happen? Because there are others that are not trained properly. How can we determine that? Well, maybe we need to audit our training. Maybe we need to figure out the skill levels of our staff. Maybe uh, we need to sit down and take a look at those policies and procedures and, and figure out how to solve them. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, all of those are very legitimate questions to immediately ask when you're faced with a HIPAA breach and all are important to answer. Um, but I think that, you know, the two different functions um, maybe are looking in the immediate future um, more sharply at what's in their domain. Yeah. Would you say that compliance um, focuses a little bit more on prevention or is that not a fair yeah, statement? Definitely. Yeah, okay. Definitely. I, you know, when I, when I think back to my experience as a, you know, as a healthcare attorney and particularly as a litigator, um, what I always tell people is um, it, to a certain extent, it's really reaction versus, you know, being reactive versus being proactive. Right. And since I talk a lot to people in the healthcare world, I usually say preventative medicine versus the emergency room. Right. Um, both are really important. You want to have really good doctors in your emergency room and you need an emergency room. And as an attorney, you know, I was trained and my day-to-day function was to react immediately to a situation that had arisen. Um, you know, I might have some thoughts on how it might be prevented in the future, but that really wasn't my role. My role was, you know, to put out the fire, to resolve the immediate danger and the immediate problem. As a compliance officer, I look at things much differently. And like you're saying, um, I'm I'm really looking at, at, uh, you know, proactively, how can we prevent compliance incidents from occurring in the first place? Right. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I've experienced. Obviously, like you said before, there's a lot of overlap, and there are um, some of these characteristics in both fields. Um, you know, one other thing that I think we're seeing a little bit more of is you referred to it with the OIG or the government, you know, in mandating a compliance program under like a corporate integrity agreement, for example. And in, in a lot of the more recent, um, and actually this has been the case for years, uh, corporate integrity agreement documents get published. The OIG will specifically right. say you must have, you know, and they outline the seven elements and the requirements that they're going to require of that organization. But when they get to the designation of a compliance officer, they'll frequently have language in there that says something like, you know, the compliance officer cannot be general counsel or they should not be subordinate to general counsel or even subordinate to the CFO, you know, trying to avoid some conflicts. And, you know, what are some of those potential conflicts 
that could exist if the compliance officer were also general counsel or subordinate to general counsel? Uh, yeah, no, great question. And, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting that this would definitely happen or, or you know, uh, certainly not singling out um, any particular experience that I've had. But I think it goes, you know, the answer to the question really goes back to what are the different concerns of a compliance officer and a general counsel. To, you know, give an example of a conflict in that HIPAA situation um, that we were just discussing, it, you know, it very much could be that the general counsel um would discourage um, certain kinds of remedial actions, uh, such as, you know, immediately increasing training, immediately uh, changing policies and procedures, or even immediately terminating or disciplining the employee in question, because they would be looking at things um, from the perspective of legal liability and saying, well, that just doesn't look good. Yeah. Uh, you know, that may be problematic. That uh, somebody might uh, raise that issue in court and. Um, you know, it's almost an admission of guilt. A compliance officer is going to, uh, you know, feel very strongly, okay, this happened. Um, let's figure out how to make sure it doesn't happen again. Um, and again, both are valid concerns, but, uh, and both need to be balanced. Right. Um, but it's, you know, that's why they really need to be co-equal and one not subordinate to the other. That, you know, that, that decision really has to be made of, of how to balance the, the sometimes competing concerns of compliance and the legal function really has to be made by, um, you know, the quarterback who's the CEO or, right. or the governing board. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, let me shift gears a little bit. And, um, you know, you're in the business now of where you're sometimes we have to convince and both of us are in this area have to convince folks that it's wise to have a compliance program, right? We know that compliance programs are cost centers. They don't generate revenue sure. for, for organizations. So it's sometimes a hard, uh, a difficult pill to swallow. Um, but, you know, a lot of us talk about compliance programs, kind of an unofficial insurance program, maybe against enforcement actions. Or if you get an enforcement actions, you could, an action, you may be able to demonstrate that it was a one-off or a bad apple and right. that, that right. your culture is good. You know, what are your thoughts about, you know, selling compliance that way? Is it a preventive measure? Is it insurance in a way? What are your thoughts about that? Um, yeah, you know, that's that's a really good point. And, uh, you know, getting back to what we were discussing in the beginning of compliance being a relatively new discipline, I think that, um, you know, only underscores how difficult it is sometimes to sell a potential client or even a current client on investing heavily in compliance because historically um, it isn't something that in years past many organizations have devoted a lot to. Um, but and in, in you're absolutely right. Um, you know, it's really hard to make an argument that that devoting more resources to compliance is, uh, you know, going to be a big revenue stream. Uh, you know, that's certainly for sure. But um, you know, you really, to me, it really all comes back to um, return on investment, and sometimes that return on investment is a mitigation of risk, and. You know, without getting deep, too deeply into the, the statistics um, within the healthcare market, um, you know the the current return on investment for every federal dollar that goes towards um, compliance enforcement is over seven to one. So that's a pretty high return on investment for the government, and yep. maybe it's even higher if you're a, a plaintiff's attorney or a class action attorney. Right. Um, so you really have to look at, you know, if I'm doing what I, if, if my organization is doing what 
it should be doing in terms of compliance, you know, that risk number is going to be mitigated. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I recently, um, a couple months back, actually, um, had lunch with someone who's a former uh, assistant U.S. attorney for healthcare enforcement. And, uh, you know, she, she had since moved on to something else. But one of the, the things that she mentioned to me is, um, you know, when we go in, when, when investigators go into a healthcare organization and start asking questions and start looking for things, what they're really looking for is, you know, compliance chaos. So yeah. an innocuous, you know, something that is a seemingly innocuous question, which may be, um, hey, can you show me records of when the last time uh, you've trained your staff on a particular issue? Um, you know, and, and maybe you even did it, and maybe, but you don't have the documentation to prove it. Nobody really remembers, uh, oh, you know, where the compliance file is. Or they asked, oh, can I see your policies on something? And, well, the person who really knows where that is is on vacation this week. Can we get back to you? What she said to me was, you know, when we see that, we it's almost like where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. You know, then, you know there's chaos there. And if I'm not going to get you on, you know, your HIPAA policy is being inadequate, I'll get you on something else. Because I know an organization that starts giving me answers like that, there's going to be compliance issues there that I can go ahead and prosecute. Uh, you know, in contrast, when I walk into somewhere, um, and this is, um, you know, I think really where where compliance manager and healthicity comes in, and you know, something that um, I recommend to, to my clients is being able to have all of your compliance function organized, you know, really at a fingertips, you know, literally and figuratively, that anything can be pulled up. An audit you did two years ago, a training you did six months ago, who attended, a policy that was revised. Um, you know, a year ago and who signed off on it and who was there at the policy meeting. Being able to pull that up is worth its weight in gold um, because that's going to make, whether it's a class action attorney or um, a government investigator, go across the street to go investigate somebody else because yeah. there's, uh, you know, it's just, it's not there. And I look, and I, and I can tell you as someone who's defended those kind of cases and, you know, in sort of my previous role, um, being able to defend a case where a client can hand over to me all that evidence, you know, in seconds, I can make that case go away much more quickly and much more cheaply um, than I could if I have to start digging and, 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 you know, digging around for things. Yeah, that's a great point. So, you know, as a compliance officer, you know, as somebody who did not have a nice tool to help me um, uh, manage the program, I had to rely on, you know, going to my sent items and email and, uh, and all sorts yeah. of manual processes trying to, you know, I know I did the work. I know I did the training. I know somebody respond, responded, but is it all in a nice, easily uh, retrievable uh, system? And I think you're right. The more organized you are, the more organized you will appear. I mean, because the appearance yeah, will reflect what you really are, which is organized and taking compliance as a, as a thoughtful um, role within the organization and not really an afterthought. So th thanks for that. Um, you know, one of the other things that I know you and I've talked a lot about is talking to folks who have compliance programs and this concept of, is it effective, right? So it's one thing right. to have a compliance program. You know, you could ask somebody, oh, yeah, I've got one, which means they have a binder on the shelf with policies and a named compliance officer. But is it really effective? Is there, is there, are there fruits of the labor 
so to speak. And, you know, the, the term compliance program effectiveness review uh, comes up. What's the way, yeah. and these can be done both internally and externally. Uh, let me start first with kind of the internal side of things. How, how would a program go about measuring themselves and looking in the mirror, so to speak, and determining if their program's effective? So, you know, the first thing I would say is you kind of alluded to internal and external. You know, any organization, whether you're working, you know, whether you have outside help for compliance or whether you're relying on, uh, you know, no matter how formal or informal, uh, you know, your compliance function is within your organization should be, you know, constantly evaluating and testing um, the strength of their infrastructure. Um, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of people forget that, you know, being in compliance, quote unquote, is not, it's not a moment in time. And, you know, having good policies and procedures doesn't mean, you know, I have this book on my shelf that never changes. Um, you know, in, in, in even compliance programs themselves, um, you know, with the clients I work with, we don't only set a compliance program on a yearly basis. We reevaluate that, um, you know, semi-annually at least, and uh, often, you know, much more frequently than that. You know, there's a constant back and forth of, you know, this month versus next month, a lot of the, you know, your issues of risk concern might change. Yeah. So, you know, the, the first answer that I, that I would give you is you should always be looking um, um, at, uh, at, you know, your compliance effectiveness. And one of the best ways to do that is by, having an outside third party organization um, come in and give you an objective view. And I think, um, you know, I, I think that goes a long way because um, I think, you know, internal, like we all know, even, you know, in our, with our own selves, you know, internal introspection, whether it's personal or in, or in an organization can be difficult, right? right. There's a little bit of politics involved. Nobody wants to be overly critical of the person they just went to lunch with the day before or who's, you know, barbecue you were just at on Sunday afternoon. Um, so it can sometimes be really helpful to get a fresh set of eyes, um, not only because a lot of times that can be someone that, that brings expertise to the table that someone internally in the organization might not have, but because it's, uh, you know, it can give you a little more of an independent and objective view, and that's going to be more highly valued within your organization and also, frankly, more highly valued outside of your organization when you may have to justify at a certain point how effective your compliance program was. Yeah, you know, some of these corporate integrity agreements and settlement agreements that I read, they, they mandate uh, like an independent um, third party to do a program review of some sort. Um, and, you yeah. know, why should we wait until we're mandated to do something, right? Like, to me, that's like a good uh, sign or symptom that or evidence that we should probably do some of this proactively on our own to avoid the circumstances that led other another organization to be mandated to do it. It's kind of like, you know, yeah. we, we should t kind of take our medicine, uh, so to speak. Um, it, it, and when you were talking, the thing that came to my mind, I think a lot of us as individuals have done maybe um, called 360 uh, evaluations where you in your in your job, you're going to have an annual evaluation and you send out blindly uh, or at least it, the response is anonymous to, you know, maybe four or five people that you work with in the organization and they give you anonymous feedback, um, like you were saying, a separate set of eyes, you know, 
as an individual, I, I think I'm doing this well. But when four people tell me that, you know, you could do better in this area, you know, that should make me stand up. And if I'm serious about trying to improve myself, uh, that is a good way to do it. And I, I agree with you. I think an independent compliance program effectiveness review, at least periodically, can give you kind of that gut check. It can let you feel like, yep, I'm kicking the tires. I'm looking under the hood. And it's not just me doing it. I have a qualified mechanic who's going to come yeah, in exactly. come in and look at that. Yeah. You know, and somebody like yourself, I think the value as well is somebody like yourself, if you're doing that for, you know, 200 clients across the country, you're going to be able to give a client real advice to say, you know what, I do this all the time and this is what, these are the best practices or these are some of the things that are missing. Do you, do you see that? in your work that you do? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I learn, I, I, I always tell my clients that I learn as much from them and their practices um, as they do from me in the sense that, um, you know, you, you really learn a lot going into an organization um, for the first time and doing a compliance effectiveness review and, you know, trying to get in and, and, um, and provide some compliance guidance by seeing, you know, what they've done until now and, and some of their best practices and procedures, and then being able to compare and contrast that with, you know, what you've seen around, around the country. I think, uh, I think that is, uh, really important. And, you know, another, another important thing to realize, um, for organizations is, you know, it's, it, it's not an all or nothing. Compliance and, and getting compliance help is not all or nothing. Um, you know, you may start off with, um, you know, a greater amount of help in a compliance effectiveness review, or you may say, hey, I'm a smaller organization and, uh, or this is my first time doing it, or, you know, I really do have some good staff and, you know, work out a way to get that help, um, but really have a lot of your internal staff uh, taking the laboring R on the, on the internal, you know, auditing and monitoring. And that can work really well. That can save costs. Um, so, you know, I think uh, uh, one of the uh, one of the conversations that I often have with clients is, you know, sometimes there's a perception that, oh, well, you know, I'm not a Fortune 500 organization. I'm not. I don't have hundreds of millions in revenues. I can't really afford, um, you know, some of the things that you're proposing. And the answer to that is really that's that's most likely not the case. Um, you know, compliance is scalable, and com- providing compliance guidance is scalable. Yeah. And um, you know there are, there are ways to uh, you know there are ways to do things that are going to get organizations um, a lot of return on their investment from a compliance perspective that don't have to break the bank and you know really are focused and and cognizant of their bottom line. Yeah, you know, and and to that point, um, we see, of course, we see these these large settlements and enforcement actions in, in, in with big numbers with big organizations. But I'm seeing more and more. Even the smaller ones, um, you know, the if let's say there's a whistleblower, for example, government is not going to not investigate that, right? Um, because the entity is small, um, and you know, the Yates memo says that individual accountability is going to be a little bit more uh, in the in the focus. And I think we've seen that at least anecdotally. Um, and so, just as compliance is scalable, enforcement is scalable too, right? Um, it's yeah, not definitely. just the big I mean, guys that are going to get hit potentially. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. And, you know, you can, uh, you don't have to go much farther than Google or, or even the, uh, OIG's website and look at examples of enforcement actions and settlements and penalties by organizations, you know, big and small. Yeah. You know, and you were talking about 
your experience with clients, does, does anything come top of mind uh, as to as to some of the best practices you've seen um, in some effectiveness reviews you've done, or are there trends, or um, is it just really unique to the client? Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's a couple things I can probably point to. You know, one thing to mention. Um, before even answering that, and, and this is somewhat connected to our, you know, discussion earlier of, uh, you know, try, you know, impressing upon organizations the importance of compliance. Um, and, you know, it, it is like we were, like we were discussing, it is really hard to sort of attribute a dollar value to, you know, having a good regulatory compliant organization. But I will tell you that, in, you know, in my experience, um, you know, oftentimes uh, I get involved or, or we as Compliagent get involved um, with an organization in a situation where, you know, they're, they're having some challenges, you know, whether those challenges are coming from um, a whistleblower or, or some enforcement uh, pressure or, you know, litigation. They're, you know, they're, they're in a sort of transitional period. And, you know, very often as we've helped those organizations work through those challenges, um, a lot of the feedback I hear from employees is how much happier they are and, you know, motivated and inspired and positive they are about the organization in, in which they're working um, because they say, wow, you know, this is an organization that is responsive to me, that listens to me. I don't have to worry about, um, you know, I, I've, you know, it truly is a culture where if I have a concern, the door is always open, um, you know, throughout the hierarchy to me to ra- for me to raise it. Um, and I, you know, I, I do think you can really draw a direct line to profitability, um, in an organization like that, because, you know, staffing and, and, and having, and having a great firm culture, um, you know, really can be worth millions without putting too fine a point on it. Yeah. Well, that culture that could maybe generate, it could be originating from a compliance culture could spread to other areas, right? Like maybe people are more, they feel safer in talking about product, uh, innovation or, in you know new models of, of care or whatever that I think you're right that culture this is compliance is one thing that can add to to a culture that's safe and um, and creative yeah and, and and I will answer and give you one example um, as to you know the previous question you asked about sort of best practices um, and I'll tell you something in my experience that um, you know having an effective hotline really a, a line of communication and then um, a subsequent grievance resolution procedure um, for both, um, you know, your patients or your residents or whoever it might be, but also for your staff um, really, really is something that gives you a lot of bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that, um, you know, can, can, you know, take some work, but, but isn't that difficult to do. But um, what I see as, you know, the results in risk mitigation um, that you can get from that because, you know, what you're really trying to accomplish is that, you know, if there is someone with concerns with the organization and sometimes they're compliance related and sometimes they're just, you know, HR related and it might be a staff member complaining about their shift and feeling that they've been mistreated by a supervisor or something. Um, a lot of time, you know, what I've seen is giving an employee or a patient or a customer or a resident um you know, are an avenue to vent to, you know, so that they don't um, wind up, you know, complaining to their 
neighborhood plaintiff's attorney or, right. you know, possibly even worse, calling up a government um, agency. But, you know, bringing a problem to you as the organization so that you can resolve it, you know, it's, I think it does so much in terms of risk mitigation. It does a lot in terms of just customer service. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, when people ask me, hey, I've got a really limited amount I can spend on compliance, you know, where should I focus my efforts? I, I, I always tell people, I think right there, giving people, you know, a real valid address to, to voice concerns and then really being serious about addressing them and resolving them is a really great first step. Yeah, you know, there. I think you're right. The the bang for the buck there is pretty impressive because you've got essentially when you have effective lines of communication, you've deputized a whole a whole workforce with compliance eyes, right? So if you and it's not that expensive to to kind of have those open lines of communication, and rather than ex, you know spend a lot of money on you know proactive data mining, not that these things aren't important, um, but if you're limited, you know, spending a lot of money on data mining and, and heavy audits when you're not paying attention to the people who are inside the house to begin with and who, who've already seen some of the problems, um, you're spending money and time and energy on things where there's some low-hanging fruit uh, with employees and with um, open lines of communication like a hotline. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, Nick, I, I, I want to give you a lot, uh, an opportunity to if you have any last minute comments, but um, as we wrap up here, I've really enjoyed talking about this, um, you know, and I really appreciate your unique perspective as, as one who's been trained as an attorney and worked in the legal field, but who's now, um, you know, both feed in a compliance world um, and helping clients uh, with compliance. Do you have any uh, parting thoughts or last minute comments that you'd, you'd like to yeah, I think, uh, you know, so, something just to close with is, um, you know, a, a philosophy of, of compliance that I think really drives uh, Compliagen as an organization and, you know, me personally um, as something I, I really feel strongly about. And, and, and that's really, you know, the realization that effective compliance is, when it's done right, is both a shield and a sword. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, most people... Think, when they think of compliance, they say to themselves, okay, well, it may help me identify uh, things that are wrong and then I'm going to fix them. And that, you know, truly is important. And that's sort of the sword aspect of things. Um, but I think that, you know, people and, and, you know, maybe some of this comes from my attorney background and sort of a defense-oriented background is, you know, compliance is also a great shield because, uh, you know, it really allows you to document to everyone, including your own organization, which I think is important, but obviously to the outside world as well, you know, just how much you've invested and how hard you're working um, for a compliant organization. And, you know, a lot of that um, has to do with proper documentation and proper organization, um, which are really the cornerstones of compliance. You know, what I tell people is if you can't, you know, find proof that you've done something easily enough, then um, you know, you, you almost may as well not have done it because you're never going to be able to show the world or show your own employees um, that, uh, you know, how hard you're working and that you've done it. And, I, you know, I would encourage organizations to be very open internally, um, uh, uh, you know, on that note with how hard they're working and how important a compliant culture is because I think, uh, you know, that is going to 
payback dividends that uh, you know make your organization not only one with a, a lower risk profile, but uh, but a better business and a more profitable organization. And you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Yeah. Well, folks, there you have it from the compliance warrior himself, Nick Merkin, the the shield and the sword. Uh, I like that analogy, Nick. Um, it's a good good image. Um, thanks so much for your time. Well, thank you. It's always you know it's always great spending time and 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 speaking with you and uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to collaborating uh, you know as we've done in the past, even more in the future. Great, thank you, Nick, and uh, thanks to all the listeners who've listened in on this episode. Uh, please join us again for the next episode of Compliance Conversations. Have a great day.